Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcoming everyone while looking for good dialogue. If you're looking for even more fantastic debates, please don't forget to like and subscribe, including tonight's debate on Is the Earth 6,000 years old? With our debaters, Ph.D. Tony T. Jump, Christopher, and Sal. Woohoo! Here to help us find out. And if you enjoy what either of them have to say, our guest links are in the description below. And with that, I'm actually going to hand it over to the negative so that they can give their opening statements. The floor is all yours. Okay, so uh, evidence is essentially novel testable predictions. You have a hypothesis, and the hypothesis that can look at the data and then infer and things below. about the future we don't know yet and get those correct is evidence of the hypothesis. Just being able to look at the data and fit it into your hypothesis isn't evidence. Anybody can do that. If you could say a leprechaun farted out all of the universe five minutes ago, and that would be consistent with all of the data we see. So simply being able to try to make the evidence fit your hypothesis is insufficient to actually justify any hypothesis. What you need is novel testable predictions, which means new stuff, stuff we don't already know yet, not the same things we've already seen, uh, that we can predict about the future and we can test for it and see if it's true. And if you can do that, you have evidence. And so if my opponents can provide such a thing, I would be wonderful to hear it. But I, as far as I know, I'm unaware of any such claim of anyone who believes the world is 6,000 years old. And I will pass it over to Tony. Um, greetings, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Amy, can I share my screen at this point to make a presentation? Or? Yes, you can. Okay. All right, so um, I just want to start by saying that geochronology is a mature scientific discipline and more than likely you've got no training in it and you're probably not in a position to adjudicate sort of controversies in it. And there are two options for remedying that, one, three years undergrad, two years postgrad in the specific discipline. And at that point, you'll be able to understand the literature. You'll be able to begin to understand it and the complexities involved. There's a quite extensive literature on geochronology um, with dedicated journals and even individual techniques with um, individual on with their own journals. The other option you can use is the old maxim, forgive my language, money talks, but bullshit walks. Over the past 400 years, we have seen significant improvements in life expectancy, reduction in infant mortality, improved power sources, transport, communication, etc. And our estimate of the age of the Earth has changed from 6,000 years, which was accepted as scientifically valid 300, 400 years ago, to 4.6 billion years, which is accepted now. Now, you may think that the age of the Earth has no link to all of this other stuff, 
but you would be incorrect. Over the past 30 years, geochronology has come to play an increasingly significant role in mineral exploration, in finding and exploiting mineral deposits. So the mining companies, in order to provide you with the, with the minerals you use in your phones, your cars, your computers, um, your batteries, they depend on very efficient exploration strategies and geochronology plays a pivotal role. One of the common um, young earth creationist arguments is that they will pick contaminated or compromised samples or poorly used measuring techniques. And they will argue that, well, on that basis, everything is wrong. That's not logically valid. It's not a logically valid um, construction. The existence of some samples for which a technique does not work doesn't mean that it's wrong for all samples. If we use the existence of measuring distance, there are multiple techniques for measuring distances on various um, length scales. Um, if we tried to use aircraft radar to detect tooth cavities, it wouldn't work. And that would surprise nobody. We wouldn't then assume that nobody can detect cavities or indeed that measuring distances is just impossible. But this is the line of argument that we're expected to believe from many young earth creationists. Just to briefly um, survey some of the techniques available to us, we have dendrochronology, varv chronology. Varves are lake and river sediments that form annually. We've got ice core chronologies, speleothem chronologies, stalagmites and stalactites are examples of speleothems. We've got, we've got dozens of forms of radiometric dating, and we also have cosmogenic exposure age dating. None of these techniques um, yield ages restricted to 6,000 years or less. And when we, in detail, into, perform intercomparisons, they agree with one another um, quite well. Um, uh, so here's, a, here's an example of ice core data. That red um, rectangle tells us about the limit of the VARV chronology. So the ice core data extends back way further than the, den than the dendrochronology data, but where they overlap, it agrees. Down the bottom is marine ice core data. These are um, marine isotope data. These are taken from samples all over the world where they sample the oxygen in the shells and they find out that there are, uh, there are variations in the oxygen isotope ratios of the entire ocean that match, regardless of which location you, you take. Here's a plot of the aggregated data, and that red rectangle shows you where the ice core data is. These peaks here, 1, 5, 7, 9, 11, these are interglacial periods. Those other ones, 2, 6, 8, 10, etc., those are glacial maxima. So those are you know, the ice ages of the last 2 million years. And we can see that the record goes way back um, you know, there are hundreds, of, well, there's more than 100 of these um, uh, oxygen isotope stages. And we can look at particular records. For instance, here are some sea level records um, from Scandinavia. And we can see, you know, um, if we're to believe that the Earth is only 6,000 years old, then these records would have to be scrunched up to the, to the right somehow. But that isn't physically possible because we have these successions of shorelines that formed. 
if you make these if you make these too fast, you don't have time for the shoreline indicators to form. So you cannot um, accelerate this process to the point that it um, to the point that it makes sense. There are other problems as well in the geological record. We have these thick diamictite layers. These are formed on the peripheries of glaciers, um, uh, and they're rather large. Um, here, for instance, you can see the Nantuotilite, the diamictite layer there. They come from, we've got samples from Canada, Australia, um, California, China, um, Svalbard. They, these occur glo um, globally, and they correspond to what's called snowball earth events. Here we have an example from Oman, um, and you note that red rectangle there, that's 500 metres. So we have glacial deposits of more than a kilometre thickness in multiple phases in Oman. In the Young Earth Creationist timeline, when and how did this occur? It, these are observational data that um, my opponents must explain how and how this occurred in their 6,000 year timeline. Anyway, that's the end of my presentation. And all right, um, we're just going to bring that screen share to an end. And with oh, sorry. that, oh no, you're fine. And with that, it will bring the end of the negative, and we're going to hand it over to the opening, uh, the affirmative for their opening statements. Floor is all yours, gentlemen. All right, I'll go first, and then I'll let someone have it for six minutes, right? Six minutes. And you got well. You guys can share that any way you want it, but yeah, it's twelve, like maximum, right? But All right, well, there was 1 billion people in the year 1800, okay? And then uh, by 1985, there was 5 billion people. So you just determine the growth rate of population. It's pretty easy to do. And uh, you could actually take the square footage of everybody in the world and concentrate them into Jacksonville, Florida. It wouldn't, you know, be very comfortable, but it wouldn't be as crowded as you know, an elevator gets. So just based on the rate at which the human population grows, there should be uh, significant, significantly more people on the planet uh, than there is what we see today. So human growth rate population, you know, you, uh, you take everybody in Africa one million years ago, as they say, and you're either going to get a lot of people or you're going to get an extinction event because you have a bottleneck of all these people in one location for, you know, a million years, you're going to have a serious inbreeding problem. So I don't know. I'm pretty convinced just based on that, on that one thing, but let's move on. The moon is getting farther away from the earth. No, I'm kidding. We won't. <laughs> I want to give you a headache for a second. And then short period comments. Okay. We won't get into that. But there, there are several ways that you can determine that the Earth, you know, is not millions of years old. Okay, it, it, uh, a limit of at least 100,000 years is there. 
Now, the only way that you would get 6,000 would be from the Bible. There are ways to scientifically, you know, correlate data with what the Bible is claiming. And then you can get, you know, you can get a model and see if that's probable, see if it's statistically likely for it to happen. And, you know, with all of the evidence that we have for a young earth, a earth that is only thousands and not billions of years old, I think it's a pretty logical and rational conclusion to reach on top of all of the scientists that have PhDs in various fields of research, including geochronology, that are creationists. Uh, the Sahara Desert is growing, you know, constantly. It's been estimated that it began growing around 4,000 years ago, the rate of 30 miles per year. So uh, grows pretty fast because the wind is blowing all the all the sand and stuff on the vegetated areas, causing it to die and then dry out. And so the desert is constantly growing. Well, based on the Bible, there was a flood around 4,500 years ago. So the, the biggest desert you can find should be, you know, around 4,000 years old within that uh, spectrum. And it certainly is the same thing with trees, you know, some of the oldest known living trees, you know, we're not talking about their fossils. They're beneath all of those trees and standing. We're talking about Trees that are, you know, that are known to have been in the ground growing. You know, the oldest one that is out there is no older than 5,000 years. So we're, we're getting close to the, to the Bible. Just oil and gas deposits prove, you know, that there was a flood 4,500 years ago. So you take the evidence for a flood, all the ways that you can limit the age of the earth to, you know, at least less than 100,000. And you get a pretty good model, you get a pretty good probability that, you know, the Bible is correct. The historical account of the Bible actually happened. You know, there are flood legends all over the world, but we're not talking about the flood. We're talking about the age of the air. So the flood is relevant, though. It's, uh, you know, you have to have a flood to be able to prove that the earth is 6,000 years old. Uh, otherwise, it really doesn't make any sense. But nonetheless, the oldest known written languages that can be reasonably reconstructed are already modern, sophisticated, and complete, and they don't, they don't go back. You know, look at any secular, any non-Christian, you know, university published literature. None of them go back to any more than 5,000 years ago. Uh, agriculture is estimated to be, you know, started around 10,000 years ago. So... Bible says around 6,000 years ago, God made everything. Around 4,500 years ago, there was a flood. And the scientific evidence is conclusive that there was both a flood and this earth cannot be millions of years old. Um, we can get into them individually in the discussion, but I'm going to yield to Salman. Woohoo! Thank you so very much. And there's actually about seven minutes left. Right over to you, Sam. Okay, I'm going to share my screen. I'd like to thank uh, PhD Tony T. Chump and Christopher and you, Amy, for letting me uh, speak today. I used to be a believer in evolution, and I was a Christian theistic evolutionist, and then I became an old earth creationist. Uh, the complexity of life seemed too severe. And then 
I began to entertain young earth creationism because uh, life looked young and that made me believe the Bible more and I was more willing to read it literally. So here is a scientific journal quote, contamination of the genome by very slightly deleterious mutations. Why have we not died 100 times over? There is a paradox of why humanity's even here. We're finding out the genome's deteriorating and that should put a limit on you know, how, how long we could have even been around. It's looking like life could not have evolved. And I will point out, despite the fact that sometimes we get young earth creationists don't, are not the best represented. Um, I worked for this gentleman. He's uh, taught, he's a research professor at one of the top schools in the United States. He's a famous uh, inventor. He's inventor in uh, the Smithsonian National Museum of American History had fed starving billions, it's a gene gun. He was an atheist, he became a creationist, and he had done research on the decaying genome. And that persuaded me, I had the privilege of working with him. So he is a young earth creationist now. The other two people also graduated from the top schools in the United States, MIT and Harvard. They, uh, one of them is a, was a professor of molecular cell biology and the other is uh, um, very accomplished biomedical engineer. I need to point out, kind of just trying to tar us creationists as not knowing anything. I don't think that's completely fair. Um, this gentleman was a exploration geologist for Chevron. He was a professor at a secular university and uh, he's a young earth creationist. He's now teaching at the Institute of Creation Research. And that really is a step down as far as prestige and money, but he's sincere. He's, he can deal with the things that uh, PhD Tony had mentioned earlier. And, you know, I'm interested in learning and I do respect that Tony has his reservations, but you can't just dismiss all of us and say, we don't know. Uh, he has a PhD in this and he's taught, he's been a professor of this. So you just can't say it's a done deal. Also, there is Jake Hebert. He is explored and I have happened to have had dinner with him just tonight at the Creation Research Conference here in Lynchburg, Virginia. He has a PhD in physics from University of Texas at Dallas. And um, he stu studied weather and climate and he studied the ice cores and he comes to a different conclusion. And I, you know, it, it, unfortunately it's not in my area. My area has been biology. I have been disillusioned by the claims of abiogenesis researcher. I think I've come to believe that that body of research is delusional at best fraudulent at worst. Same for uh, most of evolutionary theory. Uh, it's garbage. It doesn't matter how many journals you have, how many articles you published, whether the data agrees or not. And it's been embarrassing for evolutionary theory just in the last two months. A paper came out about uh, KAKS ratios. I know that's technical. It's falsified tens of thousands possibly of evolutionary papers. So the number of journals the number of papers, the number of careers and mortgages paid is not a measure for the accuracy of a theory. I had, um, uh, anyway, John Sanford is published in the prestigious scientific journal Nature. I myself had had the privilege of uh, doing a Springer Nature reference work, critical of evolutionary biology, consistent with the idea that the human genome is deteriorating very fast. 
Regarding, I mean, notwithstanding PhD, Tony had very good things. I don't think I have answers for them and I respect that and we have to admit that. But there are also stuff on our side that is problematic. There, there are chemical dates all the way down to the Cambrian that are not consistent, such as racemization. There are things like oxidation, the presence of peptide bonds, et cetera. And, you know, I've looked at this and I began to say, you know, maybe there is a possibility this is all wrong. Let's have a reset. Um, and then, you know, these dinosaur tissues, it's the chemical dates. It's not just that it's soft, it's the chemical dates. We'd have to rewrite chemical kinetics and some of the physics associated with this. So, you know, I'm not here to absolutely prove the earth is young. I'm here to argue that the case is not shut and that there are respectable people from respectable universities who've had very accomplished scientific careers that are skeptical of the mainstream claims, and I don't blame them. Um, here's something, I mean, it's known that the Earth's magnetic field is decaying. It's decayed maybe about 11% in the last 200 years. We don't know where it's going. We don't know where it's been, but this is a testable hypothesis. If the Earth's magnetic field decays, um, say over the next 2000 years or even 10,000, long before our lifetimes, you know, uh, you know, will be passed away by then. But at least in principle, this is a testable hypothesis. Civilization, um, generations from now, they might be able to know. And if the Earth's magnetic field is stripped away, the ozone layer will be gone and all sorts of cosmic things will not be, will be getting through our atmosphere. This would be bad. And we have to question whether civilization will continue. But this would also raise the question then, you know, why did it decay? We actually don't know a lot of the reasons. We can guess, but speculations are not empirical evidence. We haven't actually dug down into the earth. There's also the faint young sun paradox. There's a contradiction here, uh, you know, with astrophysics. You can look it up. I'm just citing Wikipedia articles. And also, finally, there is the problem of radioactive or supposed radioactive decays. There are other mechanisms involved. Here are some papers, we can talk about it. Um, only recently, this heavy electron quasi-particle thing came up and I see that I've hit seven minutes and thank you for your time. Woohoo! thank you so very much. In fact, thank you, PhD Tony, T-Jump, Christopher and Sal for both sides opening statements for Is the Earth 6,000 Years Old? Once again, if you enjoy the show, please don't forget to like and subscribe. But we are now going to move into 50 minutes of open dialogue, which means, gentlemen, the floor once again is all yours. I just wanted to start by saying uh, I saw no novel testable predictions. It seemed like they were just post hoc reasoning to try to look at the data and make it fit their model like I predicted. Secondly, measuring the age of some things that decay isn't an evidence of that's the ultimate age of the earth. For example, my body is decaying. You can measure it at approximately 33 years old. Does that mean the world is 33 years old? No, because there were things before it. So the fact that you can measure one thing and see it's changed and you follow the pattern to the extreme without considering any other extraneous factors isn't evidence. But if you think that is some ultimate thing that you think can indicate the ultimate age of the earth, uh, please tell me what that one thing is so we can discuss it. Um, I gave a testable prediction. Uh, you might not see it materialize in your lifetime, maybe generations in the future. It doesn't matter whether it's novel, novel or not. 
Wait, wait, um, yes, it does. Like the magnetic field, it could decay. It would cause problems if the magnetic field were very much stronger. I mean, we don't know if it's a linear decay curve or exponential, but let's say it's an exponential decay curve. And uh, Alan Barnes, who was a professor at a secular university, he's a young earth creationist. He's a, a professor at a secular university in the United States. He, he was looking at the, the magnetic data and he said, okay, even 50,000 years ago, if we use exponential decay curve, there's magnetic energy stored in the magnetic field there. If it decayed, a lot of that energy would release. And basically most of the earth would have become molten from that energy release. So, you know, there's a lot that we don't know. We can guess. And I'm just saying it's not an open and shut if, case. Yes, it is. Okay, Sal, you're overlooking, you know, it doesn't matter what any individual says if he doesn't say it in a peer-reviewed journal. It simply doesn't matter. You're, if, you want, if you want the guys on your side to be taken seriously, you need to get, your, you need to get their claims past peer review, and that hasn't happened. Furthermore, we have observational evidence. With, for, I, I was just silent for you. I'm I'd sorry. I apologize. I apologize here. I, okay. I the, um, we have uh, paleomagnetic data extending back 650 million years. So to claim that the, um, the, you know, the decay observed over the past couple of hundred is indicative of somehow the Earth's magnetic field is going to somehow decay into nothingness is um, quite simply incorrect. We've got no evidence of that. You're extrapolating backwards, and we know what the strength of the um, uh, Earth's magnetic field was. In fact, in the, in the figure I showed you, we showed fluctuations in cosmogenic isotope abundances, which are a result of fluctuations in, um, in the magnetic field. So we can, we can reconstruct that with great precision. You brought up the faint, sun, faint young sun paradox, which is about why there is um, liquid water on Earth's surface um, uh, in early sediments when the, when the sun was 30% weaker than it is now. Um, so the argument is the sun was cooler, there shouldn't have been liquid water on Earth's surface. This is easily explained by greenhouse gas um, forcing. The, abundant, the, atmospheric, um, the atmospheric abundance of carbon dioxide and methane was significant, significantly higher at that point in Earth's history, and thus Earth's surface temperature was higher. The points you're raising have been resolved in literature. And you know, to present them as though they haven't, to present them as though this has never been considered by the scientific institutions of the world is simply wrong. And you know, it's wrong enough to get to the point of lying, right? It, 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 it is so egregious. And you know, your claims about everybody's claims about you know genetics and um, and racemization rates and that sort of that sort of stuff is irrelevant. We're not talking about how long life has existed. We're not talking about how old the human race is. And, you know, Christopher's argument of extrapolating population growth of, over the last 300 years when we've had a massive improvement in medical technology and a massive reduction in infant mortality, and you extrapolated that backwards, that's sheer nonsense. We obviously didn't have access to, to modern healthcare or um, uh, modern, uh, you know, food production, or modern, you know, modern um, shelter, or you know, heat production. 
obviously mortality rates were higher in the past. So extrapolating, taking modern period population growth and extrapolating it backwards is ill-conceived. Anyway, I've responded to a bunch of points. Off you go. Um, first off, I apologize to you, Tony. I, I, I shouldn't have interrupted you. So thank you for pointing that out. I try to be civil. Thank you, sir. The counter response. Thank you. And I, sorry, sorry, just saying thank you, and I'll try to extend you the same cut. So, uh, paleomagnetic data to 650 million years. Circular reasoning is not a basis of science. That is circular reasoning. We don't have independent confirmation that it is 650 million years. And, uh, you know, that's Wait, just. Could you explain that a little bit more? What do you mean? What's circular reasoning? Uh, can you state that figure? PhD, Tony, you said we have 650, we have paleomagnetic data going back 650 million years. How do you, how can you do, how can you make that assertion uh, without some degree of circular reasoning? You don't actually know that. That's what is at question whether the earth is old. You can't say that we have data going back 650 million years. You're assuming the thing you're trying to prove. That is problematic. The other thing I wanted to say is this whole thing about it having to be approved by peer review. I've seen junk papers going on for 40 years and they're still going on. And it's this club, particularly for origins research in the past. Operational science is good. Origin science in the past is not quite as high quality. So stuff that can be experimented on in the present day and have testable predictions, I'm a-okay with that. But stuff where it's in the deep past, we don't, we have to reconstruct it. Um, and there's not any way to actually experiment and, and prove it directly. It's subject to kind of like, oh, okay, whatever, you know, whatever is accepted. And I just cited where thousands of papers have been refuted uh, re regarding the KAKS ratios in evolutionary biology. It was the disaster, I saw it coming and yet, you know, couldn't get stuff critical of it in peer review and now they, they're caving, just a waste of time. And so I'm just saying, I don't think that that uh, should be the standard. Well, I think you offered a novel prediction for Tom though, because we, we can predict that the magnetic field will completely and utterly be gone uh, before the next four to 5,000 years. It's not gonna be there. So we just have to wait, I guess, because I mean, if you want something absolutely brand new for a novel prediction, we're going to have to use things like that or things like, you know, there's going to be a new world order uh, that controls the whole world and they're going to make everybody take a mark. That is a novel prediction. So we'll just have to wait and see. The Bible says that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's a novel prediction and I guarantee you it's coming to pass. Well, you're right. Those, those are novel predictions, but I was kind of asking for ones that you've already made in like progress of science. So like one in geology is uh, we looked at double hinted jaw joints in fossils and somebody predicted that they would be fused together in a future fossil that we'd find that we haven't found yet. And then they found it like, oh, we predicted we'd find that because we looked at the past data and inferred something about the future and then did a test and found that that was the result. Same with uh, made lots of these kinds of predictions for Tiktaalik was one um, in geology. There's tons of them. Like science makes tons and tons of predictions and then they get confirmed. So I was looking for like a novel prediction that creationists have made that was confirmed at some point already. Not like, obviously if I die and go to heaven, meet God, that's great evidence. It's a great novel testable prediction, but I want something that's already been confirmed. Right. Preferably. 
I got you. Well, what about this? What about the fact that virtually every scientific field of research was established by a creationist? So they had to make a prediction at that point. And then all of those predictions came true. And here we are. Because that's how they even established a scientific method that everybody agreed upon was to establish a hypothesis, go through various blind tests that produce the same results. Most poop cobblers. Can I I respond to that? Yeah, I just want to say five seconds. So most shit shovelers were also Christian at one point. Does that mean that shoveling shit is a Christian profession? Well... I would attack I would attack that argument slightly differently. Yes, everybody started out believing that um, the earth was made 6,000 years ago and created by God. But then we started looking at the evidence and it didn't back that that um, uh, that claim up. And so we adjusted our beliefs, right based on the evidence available to us. That's what science is. We started out for 300, 400 years ago with everybody, every scientist, believing that the earth was 6,000 years ago. And we're not there now because that's not what the evidence, um, evidence suggests. And you, I produced evidence in my presentation of the accuracy and reliability of radiometric dating. It is used to identify the location of mineral bearing deposits. Mining companies pay for those results and those results are accurate and reliable. You have done nothing to suggest that that is not the case. And so if you accept that that is the case, then you must accept that radiometric data produces accurate results. If you are disputing that that is the case, where is your evidence? Uh, Amy, uh, can I talk? Amy, I actually, I didn't have Absolutely. a chance. Absolutely. Uh, okay, this is a novel testable prediction. Uh, this was written by Zapiro and Dolan in like the last two years, I think even 2021. There has been data that we, we can have lower energy nuclear reactions. And uh, they call it cold fusion. That unfortunately has bad connotations. And definitely there's been cranks. But I began to think about this because uh, I, I was looking at alternative means of changing nuclear structure. There can be electrical and chemical means. The first thing that I looked at was photonuclear processes. And uh, there was a paper in Nature 1985 that lightning can cause neutrons. That was confirmed in 2017 that uh, the photonuclear processes can change nuclear structure. Although at a million electron volts, that's still a high energy, relatively high energy reaction. But well, I began- you, what, What's the novel testable prediction? Could you explain, I'm, I'm lost. What, which, what's the prediction? Sure, no, that's a great question. Novel testable prediction is we can find out that there are ways that nuclear structure can be changed outside of radioactive decay in such a way that the parent-daughter proportions could be misleading. So that's a novel testable prediction and I'm throwing this one out here. So this one, um, when I'd studied uh, solid state physics, there are these things called quasi-particles. You can look up in Wikipedia entry, quasi-particles, whole list of them. Quasi-particles, um, they call it fictitious. Uh, it's really, you can say fictitious, but with real effect. What that means is it's really the collective action of the entire crystal lattice that can make it appear, you can model it as if it is a single particle. There are these particles called heavy electron quasi-particles. Sorry to interrupt again. Um, how did the 6,000-year-old Earth or lead to this? 
no, please. Uh, that's that's quite all right, T-Jump. That's a great question. This is questioning. I'm questioning the change that there may be mechanisms that can change nuclear structure other than radioactive decay that will give signatures that if you assume it's radioactive decay, you're going to get the wrong inference about the age of the rock or whatever. Okay, so why do, so I have a question then. Why do um, radiometric ages agree with cosmogenic exposure ages? I don't know. That's a great question, sir. Why do the rates of the observed rates of um, tectonic motion when extrapolated backwards by radiometric ages fit with the geometry observed? For instance, the um, the Hawaiian and Emperor Island archipelago, if you trace it down, it has a huge kink in it from the time when um, India ran into Eurasia. Why is the radiometric timing of that, uh, of that event um, coincident with the distances travelled using modern rates of travel? If the, if the rates of travel were different in the past, that shouldn't happen. If the radiometric ages are wrong, that shouldn't happen. Why is there agreement there? Uh, I, I didn't finish my point, uh, sir. If I could, I would appreciate it. About okay. the, So creationists have postulated a variety of mechanisms. I'm throwing one out here that is a testable prediction. If we can achieve low temperature nuclear reactions, the mechanism could be compression to create electricity, these are piezoelectric effects or even triboelectric effects. It can change the parent and daughter products. So notwithstanding your points, let me point out some other things. In the journal Nature, there was research that was controversial. Italian scientists battled uh, to halt controversial research. That research was neutron emissions in brittle rocks during compression tests. That and that's the reference there. This quasi-electron particle model could possibly explain it. So this is testable. It can be falsified, then it's, it's done with. But, you know, on figure 13 there, citing Macubre, there are all these low-energy nuclear reactions. Low energy would be like, say, you know, in the range of 100 electron volts or less, which is phenomenal. And that's arguing that this could corrupt the data yeah. from radiometric dating. Is that right? Yes. So that's a testable prediction. I'm not saying it's proven. I'm not saying it's right. It is testable. And I think it should be pursued. It has uh, people who are interested in physics as I am, and also like renewable energy or not renewable alternative energy, clean energy should be interested in this. It's also an exciting field. Uh, solid state physics has been called solid state physics because it's so complicated that sometimes all you can do is just kind of tinker around and see what happens. This could change it. So notwithstanding um, the fine point, the fine criticism that PhD Tony put forward, um, you know, we have to find out why it apparently agrees. But um, the one thing I, I know in talking with Tim Clary, I've met him down at the ICR and I see him at conferences, is that he doesn't agree that, he doesn't think that the data agree you know, a lot, you know, I've seen stuff that looks a little bit cherry picked and confirmation, mm -hmm. bias. but, you know, I'm going to grant, I'm going to grant you're more knowledgeable about this, Tony, and I'm, I'm going to defer to you and say, just simply, I think uh, your point should be respected 
On the other hand, some of the things that I put on the table, like the faint young sun paradox, this whole thing about greenhouse gases, let's grant that for the sake of argument, it would have to be fine-tuned to adjust to the sun as its output increased, the greenhouse gas has to get lessened and it has to be done at such a fine-tuned level, it's it's kind of short of, you know, it's, it's just short of a miracle, if not a miracle. No, it's, no, it's genuinely not because, um, you know, we developed life forms that um, consume carbon dioxide and produce oxygen, right? That's because carbon dioxide was abundant, right? Hey, Tony, could you, could you explain to the audience what the sun thing is so they we understand okay. what we're talking so about? The, so the faint young sun paradox, we find very old um, uh, surface minerals that show characteristic iron banding, um, which is associated with um, water-soluble um, iron ions. So this is evidence that there was liquid water on the surface of the earth, um, you know, 4 billion years ago, roundabout. Um, at this point, the sun would have been very young and not very hot. So it would have been about 30% cooler than it is now. Um, so um, if the sun were 30% cooler, earth should be a snowball, basically. In fact, earth should be a snowball now without the effect of greenhouse gases. Um, uh, you know, the mean, mean temperature based solely on solar energy, um, Earth's surface, Earth's mean temperature, mean emission temperature is minus 15 degrees Celsius. And so it would have been even cooler way back then. Um, but, uh, you know, that, that isn't really a problem because there was lots of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere at that point. So there's lots of volcanic emissions, lots of carbon dioxide there. And um, it would explain why there's liquid, why there was liquid surface. Now, obviously, we weren't there at the creation. But then again, it's worth pointing out that the author of Genesis wasn't present at the creation of the Earth either. So, um, it, you know, we're going on what we have observational evidence to determine. Um, so the faint young tongue paradox vanishes um, if you just have greenhouse gases and this argument about, you know, the fine tuning, well, we um, had a lot of cyanobacteria and various other life forms that consumed the carbon dioxide, produced oxygen, and then there was a big die-off as the carbon di as the as oxygen became um, super abundant in the atmosphere. It's um, it's not it, it doesn't require fine tuning in the way that Sal suggests, um, and uh, and it's a well and this is a well understood um, uh, process in science. So I. I I just think that this is this is throwing stuff out. And again, we've got all of these different dating techniques. Sal's argument is that there's some problem with radiometric dating, except that it produces reliable, consistent results. And if there was an error with it, it wouldn't. Um, we Once again, do I need to show the sea level curves? We had these sea level curves with these um, showing viscoelastic relaxation. The viscosity of the earth hasn't changed in the way that Sal suggests. We can prove this by looking at rotation data um, from, uh, from, the historical from the historical record. Historical eclipse data allow us to reconstruct Earth's rotation history, its, it's um, polar wobble for the last um, few thousand years. There's been no significant change in viscosity. And, you know, the the... The, this entire massive release of heat and everything was molten and that sort of stuff. Well, if 
if the if the lithosphere was that was that molten was that hot then the emperor island change wouldn't have persevered right they wouldn't still be their relic on the bottom of the pacific ocean they'd have relaxed into um into absolutely nothing we wouldn't still be seeing post-glacial rebound um in centers of former glaciation we wouldn't be able to see um, uh, the uh, relaxation signature following the Huronian glaciation. And you still haven't addressed how you get kilometre thick glacial debris fields across the globe, right? In California, China, Brazil, Canada, um, uh, Sweden, Australia, Oman, Namibia, we have these kilometre thick um, glacial deposits, right? And there's a reason it's called glacial slowness, right? These, these deposits are very, very finely ground dust. So these glaciers ground the rock up into a very fine silt and then deposited it. You've also come up with no explanation for how the oxygen isotope signature of the entire ocean, Earth's entire ocean, can vary, can move up and down on the time scales that you're suggesting. You know, we know why it happens. Okay, well, it happens let, me, let me address some of these points that you're making real quick. I just don't, I don't want to remember any of them or lose my okay. train of thought. So you're saying that there's, uh, yeah, there's ice everywhere. Well, that's not really there a problem. Was. There was. There, was a, there was a global flood which produced all of that ice, according to our model. You're saying that we did, we get, we haven't offered that explanation, right. not us personally, but the creationist has put forth valid arguments for uh, uh, the ice age. With all due respect, no. Well, you're not talking. We're not talking about the ice age. We're talking about the snowball Earth, the Huronian period which was mm -hmm. about 600, the, 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 what you would be thinking of is the most recent um, uh, glacial cycle, which are driven by Melanchthon. So you, you really want to know why the atmosphere is uh, varying, going like uh, no, what I want. No, what I want to know is how in your model, glacier, these glaciers, okay, let's, let's say that you've explained how they exist. How did they produce a kilometre of erosion features, right? They can't have been there that long. We've got um, erosion features from uh, you know the last the last glacial cycle. The ice sheets were only at their maximum extent for five to eight thousand years, and we can see how much erosion they left. They didn't leave kilometer thick deposits of fine silty clay, whereas these ones six hundred and forty million years ago did. So how were the glaciers there long enough to produce this kilometre-thick glacial sediment? Even if I accept your explanation for how they're there, how were they there that long? Well, I mean, aren't you assuming that, you know, that sedimentation or whatever that builds up, that it's building based on today's current rates? Um, how, well, please explain to me the physical process by which you can accelerate glacial erosion. I'd be thrilled to hear your answer because you can't. Well, you produced the you produced the entire glacier rapidly. That's how. Um, no, that won't work. Why not? Okay, because if the glacier, if you increase the mass of the glacier too quickly, the glacier just falls over. It won't accumulate enough basal shear stress. 
you need the basal shear stress to be there for a long time to get at the various to to, to cause the erosion. You can't it it's like um, you know, if you get a bulldozer, right, and you just clear off the land, you're not going to get fine silt, which is what you're suggesting. If we do it all very quickly and we just sort of bulldoze the, um, the, the stuff out of the way, that's fine, but it won't be fine silt, right? In order to get that fine silt, you need to be doing the erosion very, very slowly and gradually, right? You can't just speed this up. It doesn't work. Well, you can speed it up. I mean, but it doesn't have to be, you know, within like a week. I mean, you could stretch it out. It's a, <laughs> a global flood that lasts over like nearly a year. So yeah, it, I'll give you a year. You know, show me how it's done. Well, the you can have as much ice as you want and as much rock as you want. Show me how it's done. Well, you just. You're talking about shear stress that needs to be available, like at the foundation of the of the yes. glacier, in order to make it possible. Well, wouldn't that uh, shear stress be available? If I mean, how how is it that you can't establish the shear stress catastrophically? You know, with a downpour of super cold hail and ice coming from the atmosphere onto the earth and then building up. Because that won't cause fine silt. You know, if you hit a rock with, you know, a large lump of a large lump of ice, you're going to get splinters of rock. You're not going to get this finely ground sediment. And, you know, I'll remind you of um, what these deposits looked like. If I may. Can I can I uh, can I weigh in or I'm sorry. Yeah, sure. I'll just bring up my figure. Okay, so here we have the various layers of clay that have been the very fine grained clay that has been ground up and they've had this debris dropped into them. And here at this stage, we're seeing, you know, something that's two meters thick. But if we go over here, for instance, sorry, yeah. Um, we see that it's many hundreds of meters thick, and in the Amman capacity, in the Amman stuff, um, yeah. And then you've got the exam, and then you've got the question of how you get that cap dolomite on top of it. That requires a bunch of um, the carbon dioxide in the air needs to be um, absorbed into the oceans and then deposited as cap dolostone, and that needs to happen without killing everything in the ocean by acidifying it. So how fast do you think that can happen? You, you, know, you can't just say, well, it can speed up. No, it can't. You know, just like you can't build shorelines instantaneously, this takes time, right? Everything takes time. And you can't just say, well, you know, um, this physical process that I've got no evidence for happened. Um, over and over again, you know, so this physical process well, that, I, that, that I can't for it, though, because there are uh, frozen mammoths that have undigested food in their stomach. You can't just do that. You know, you the mammoth has to be rapidly frozen or that to happen. There are yes, it, evidence of, if, uh, you know, meteor fragments within the ivory tusks of the mammoths indicating they were probably catastrophically buried by a downpour of super cold hail, ice, snow, rock, etc. Nonsense. Sheer, 
unadulterated nonsense with not a scintilla of scientific evidence to back it up. I, we do what, have what is, for it. Tony, no, what, you don't. What Tony, you what, what is are, the explanation for the, the mammoth freezing? How do we explain that without uh, Okay, magic? so mammoths freezing very quickly, they can fall into, they can fall into um, rivers um, or um, marshes. They can get stuck in marshes, and if it's very cold, basically you just need water. Um, uh, you know, water has a very high thermal, uh, has very high thermal inertia, and uh, you know, warm-blooded animals die very quickly of hypothermia if they're surrounded in water. Um, you can have astonishingly severe snowstorms or whatever, um, but you know, the, the these claims that you can just speed up. Um, glacier formation, and 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 again, you know, you, you have the these one hundred, you know, these two hundred glacial cycles that you have to explain. Two hundred glacial cycles, not one, not one glacier formation. Two hundred glacial cycles, and then before yeah. that, you and that's need based on the atmosphere flip flopping, right? That's what that graph means. Those are those are actually oxygen isotope um, from marine animals. So that's the ocean. Right. Well, the the global flood is going to produce catastrophic wind patterns, and that's yeah. going to vary. Oxygen, you know. oxygen isotope. So the oxygen isotope content of the oceans is changing. The the ratio between oxygen eighteen and oxygen sixteen. That's what this is, okay? These are oxygen isotope ratios. Um, you know, the um, higher they are, um, the, uh, sorry, the lower they are, um, the hotter it is. The, the, you know, the higher they are, you note that the, um, that the um, scale is inverted here. Um, so, you know, the higher they are, the cooler it is, the lower they are, the warmer it is. Um, or, um, or you can, or you can look at it as a measure of ice sheet uh, of ice sheet volume, because the lighter isotopes get taken out and they get stored in ice sheets. And how do they change? Now, how do you get more of one or the other? Okay, so the um, so the process is described here. Um, if there's a if there's evaporation of water out of the oceans, the lighter isotopes are preferentially taken um, up into the um, up into the clouds. And then the heavier isotopes preferentially fall fall out. So by the time the clouds reach the um, reach the ice sheet, they're very depleted in um, in oxygen in oxygen isotopes, and the um, and the sea and the oceans are correspondingly enriched. And this is why you can see the reverse relationship. If you look at the top, you've got the delta deuterium and down below it, the delta oxygen um, uh, uh, values in the ice sheet core. And down the bottom, you've got the benthic delta O18. And you'll see that these two curves are highly correlated and agree with one another very strongly. And this is a signal of the um, uh, light isotopes being stored in the ice sheet um, preferentially or where it's warmer the, um, there are more heavier isotopes. And you can see that the isotope abundances in the ocean are acting in the opposite sense. You'll note that the scale is, is opposite. It's uh, de you know, um, uh, between these two. You will also notice something interesting here as well if you look at the dust um, curves. 
Uh, well, which, uh, before we go into a different one, let's give them a yeah. chance to respond. Why, why do you think there are layers of different uh, densities of isotopes of oxygen and that are like perfectly layered, that are perfectly the same layers that follow the same patterns all over the world? If a global flood happened, you wouldn't expect oxygen isotopes to pattern in this way. It seems very strange. Why, how would you explain that? I don't know. I tried to, I tried to say something, but I'll, I'll try to say it again. And and unless Sal wants to respond to this, but uh, before you do, Sal, catastrophic wind patterns. Okay, temperature uh, rising and cooling rapidly in different locations because of global flood increasing for 40 days and 40 nights still increases for another 150 days progressively no continents to interrupt the tides, so like 200-foot tidal waves, and the north and south poles are freezing during the entire time. So this is why you're seeing the atmosphere go from here to here. You know, well, well, how does that change the oxygen isotope levels? You know, uh, it, because he was just saying that the oxygen levels change because as the clouds you know, move over towards the, the poles, they lose their oxygen and mm -hmm. that kind of ends up in the oceans, right? So why can't that happen in a global flood where the, the fountains of the great deep erupt, produce the clouds in the atmosphere, and then they all slowly fall towards the north and south poles where the cool spots are. Why can't that happen? There's no evidence that it did. And this is this is what you're suggesting is the opposite of science, right? To say why can't something happen is absolutely not science. Why can't there be unicorns? Why can't there be goblins? Why can't there be fairies at the bottom of my garden? Okay, but that is isn't that like ad hominem? Because why can't we, you know, come from a dot that exploded long ago and far away? Why can't we come from a rock? The difference is, you're, you're, trying the, you're trying the tried and tested Kent Hovind tactic of trying to derail the debate. This debate... No, you started. The evidence, you actually started this, this, one second, one second, Tony, Tony, I think he's asking a genuine question here. So the, the, there's a genuine difference between these two, and that's one of the models makes testable predictions that we can verify if this model is, if we came from a dot billions of years ago, what would we expect to see? We expect to see something like the cosmic microwave background radiation, uh, different kinds of gravitational waves from the LIGO experiment. We can make predictions like if this, is, if our hypothesis is true, here's what we'd expect it to see, do some test confirmant. Your model doesn't do that. It just says, well, maybe it's the case a leprechaun farted out the universe five minutes ago. Well, unless you can make a prediction based off of that and confirm it, then it's just a, a just so story. So just being able to say, couldn't it be, is not evidence you need, you need to confirm that hypothesis with future predictions. Well, the Bible has made its own prediction since it's been around for at least, you know, 2000 years. It has declared that the earth is a circle. It's hanging on nothing, that there was a global flood. The evidence certainly uh, shows that there was a global flood. You know, it no, shows that the earth no. is not millions of years old. That's okay, I, I need to... I need to interrupt you there because my academic speciality is actually the analysis of paleo sea level and the claim, and you've made it multiple times, that there was definitely a global flood is simply false. I have published papers personally analysing paleo sea level data 
for the past 140,000 years um, and specifically for the past 30,000 years. And your statements here are absolutely wrong. You are absolutely incorrect on this. And please desist from lying to me about my academic speciality. And I just want to say, guys, keep, uh, feel free to keep on going. But uh, when you're done that slide, tell me and we will. Oh, sorry. Oh, uh, no, not at all. I'd like to weigh in at some point, guys. Yes, and it sounded like I, Sal, I did you have, had something. I did have one more thing to make about one more Fantastic. So what we will do, PhD Tony, uh, have a final statement on that thought, and then tell me when you're done, and we'll hand it over to Sal. Uh, do, 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 do. Okay, if we have a look at this slide again, you will notice that there is dust, that there is a dust um, line in it and that is the amount of dust that can be found in each layer now if the young earth creationist argument is true and the early layers were all put together really really quickly then the amount of dust in there should be very small particularly if it's wet if it's wet and rainy and there's a um, and there's a flood going on there shouldn't be any dust right because there's nowhere for the soil to come from so the fact that we find dust particles in these, um, uh, in these ice cores um, and that the abundance doesn't drop off as you go backwards in time, this argues against the interpretation that all of those early layers were put down instantaneously because if that were true, there should be very little dust in them. But the amount of dust is not reduced as you move down the ice column. So um, the, this, the data we have simply doesn't support the um, position that you're, you're, you're presenting. And again, if you want to believe the Earth is 6,000 years old, that's fine. I, I don't have a problem. You're, you're free to believe what you want. But you're simply wrong when you say that the evidence backs you up on this. Can I weigh in now? Yes, you can. It's unbelievable academics cannot recognize circular reasoning. Um, you've, you've said you published on the last 140,000 years. That's a circular argument, sir. You weren't around. You're making an inference. Secondly, I did point out the chemical dates do not agree. So if, you're look, if you want to have all this confirmation bias and ignore the data points I gave, Granted, I'm not going to be verbose. I just simply pointed out there's not agreement with the mainstream views concerning the chemical dates. It's an open issue. You have to resolve the chemical kinetics of this. It's their problems all the way down to the Cambrian. I've seen the data, and this is going to be testable if that problem persists. So as a matter of principle, it's still an open issue. And you keep using circular reasoning. That's unbecoming of a scientist that you cannot even see that. And it's sickening to hear you keep repeating it. So okay. why don't you? Okay, I acknowledge that there are problems on your side. You're insisting there. Are you going to insist that there are no chemical dating problems? And there are anomalies. This isn't a debate dating. about chemical dating. I haven't used that's chemical dating, dating at any point in my argument. So and so, say, so and that is a problem. Chemical dating, and sir, now you're interrupting me. Chemical dating indicates ages of the fossil record. No, it doesn't. It conflicts. If it, to the extent it conflicts with radiometric dating, then there's a problem. 
And I was pointing no, out one way to be resolved. So, and then you keep appealing to circular reasoning that is unbecoming of an academic. No, I'm not. See it done and I'm simply not going to be lied about. No, you're interrupting me. You've been I'm, yes, to because you are lying me. about me. You're, you know, you claim to be a Christian and you are here violating the ninth commandment. Right? You are here lying about me and you are lying to the audience. The assertion that radiometric dating is a circular argument has been debunked multiple times in this debate. Yes, there may be problems with the chemical, um, with the chemical dating, that there may be outstanding controversies. That isn't my field. I'm not going to opine on it, but it is irrelevant to the validity of the various geochronological dating techniques that I have discussed in this presentation. Cosmogenic exposure ages, dendrochronology, VAR chronology, ice core chronology, spelium chronology, um, and radiometric dating. They all agree, they all produce consistent ages, and your claim to the contrary is false. It is just false. Sir, I let you talk. And I would appreciate the same courtesy, sir. I was not lying. You were using circular reasoning. I've given you that data is not circular reasoning, sir. Sir, I've given you data points that would question the validity. Hey, Saul, could you um, circular reasoning is like when your premise is in? Could you show what the circular reasoning was? Yes, he said he had published papers about dating all the way back to one hundred forty thousand years. So it's assuming the age the age of the Earth is longer than that. That is trying. That is already assuming that the premise you're trying to prove. There's a problem with that, and I pointed out contrary data that you know you have these fossil layers that are dated millions and millions of years old, and yet the chemical dates are returning things that are young. So then that's that is very problem problematic for all sorts of for all sorts of dating, which would include radiometric. One way to resolve it is I've suggested that there are alternative methods of changing nuclear structure, they can be explored. So granted, I didn't answer all of his questions. He's not answering all of mine and that's problematic. And he's insisting that it's a done deal. I'm saying it's an open issue and we can explore it. So there's well, a same- Saul, just to clarify. So he wasn't making the argument that uh, he's published papers about things 500,000 years ago. And therefore the fact that he's published papers means that the world is that old. That wasn't his argument. That would be circular, sure but he has reasons in those papers that indicate that. And none of the reasons he's presented are radiometric dating. So even if, even if we just grant that radiometric dating is completely useless, none of that would invalidate anything he said. And so that doesn't actually address the position he espoused. So, yeah. none of, so I wouldn't, it's not circular reasoning because he has justifications in those papers. He's not specifically just saying, my papers say it's this for this, this year, this old, therefore it's this old. That's not the, not the argument. Um, he just isn't mentioning those reasons in the, of the paper. So it's a separate argument there. And radio, we not, neither of us brought up radiometric dating. We, we don't, we didn't talk about that. One thing he mentioned is the Milinkovitch cycle. So you, um, PhD, Tony, do you believe the Milinkovitch cycle is correct as a theory? Yes, generally. So if that's falsified, how, how problematic would that be for your uh, for your models? It would be somewhat problematic. What are you suggesting? Uh, I, I, I mentioned Jake Hebert earlier, and I had dinner with him tonight. He has studied the Milinkovitch cycle. I mean, if you're all interested, you can. He has books published on this and critiques. 
I am interested only in what he can publish in peer review. Yes. I'm okay. not interested. I'm not interested in the private opinions or the um, or okay. the popular fiction um, that um, that people that people disseminate. I am interested in science. I have studied the peer reviewed um, the peer reviewed literature. If he has something meaningful to say, he can present it in the peer reviewed literature. May, may I ask you? I, I would presume, sir, you're a peer reviewer. Yes. Could he submit this to you, sir? Um, well, he could certainly list me as a reviewer on um, what happens is when you submit a journal to an article, you come up with a list, you submit, you submit a list of people that you recommend as reviewers. He could certainly recommend me as a reviewer um, for, a, um, for a journal article. Sure. Uh, if he publishes in a preprint, I mean, would you be willing to read it and critique it? So I'm not yes, saying- Yes, I would. Okay. All right. I will communicate that to him, sir. That's about the only fair thing I could ask. That's very generous of you. And speaking of generosity, we have about five or ten more minutes of open dialogue, but it sounds like T-Jump has something right on the tip of his tongue. Right back yeah. to you. Yeah. Marty Mad Scientist asks, can the young earth creationists explain the Pando Forest, which is estimated to be at least 10,000 years old? Because the root, the root system of the Pando Forest uh in order for the things to grow at a certain rate, the maximum rate of growth would lead to, given the size of the root system, has to be 10,000 years to accom accommodate the size of the root system. I don't have any comment on well, that. Can, can the root not grow any faster than what it does today? Well, it can, but not magic faster. Magic like, faster. What do you, yeah, like, we like, don't have to involve magic. We can just come up with natural ways in which you can increase the growth rate of uh, whatever you're talking about, you know, like, like why what? can't like, things well, grow faster? Well, can they grow faster than any living organism that has ever been demonstrated ever? I doubt <laughs> that is magic. So, you know, and this is a, this is a more general problem. There are very large um, clonal creatures. Um, Pando forest is the largest one we're aware of. Um, uh, on land, but there are a couple of very large ones. Uh, there's a uh, there's a, a clonal um, settlement of Posidonia oceanica in the Mediterranean that covers acres and acres, um, well, hundreds of square kilometres. Um, and there's a, a another even larger one off the coast of Western Australia that was discovered um, recently. Um, so you know, again, these are clonal. Um, animals, uh, well, clonal plants, they spread out their roots and they put up other, other things. Um, so the growth rates on these have to be, um, uh, you know, nothing short of astronomical. Magic um, magical. Yeah. No, it's not magic. You don't need magic in order to do it. I guarantee it. <laughs> See, well, you I'm, have I'm in the fossil, look at the Carboniferous era, if you will. Giant insects, giant fern plants, giant trees. You know, where did those come from? It was a different environment. So you just need to change the atmosphere and you'll be able to produce things like that. It's not science. It's just, uh, or it's not magic. It's science. Even though science looks like magic sometimes, that's what, that's why people study it. Well, except, the atmosphere. That no, except that there were no trees um, during that period, right? The Carboniferous era, there were no trees. Yeah. There trees are, are trees are relatively trees that run through multiple seams of coal. 
in the earth. Right? That, I mean, that uh, well, again, um, that's an anecdote that people claim. I'd like you to provide me with a reference to where that is demonstrated. You know, this seems you 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 keep on you keep people keep on bringing this up um, because they heard it from it's some demonstration worldwide. What are you talking about? No, it hasn't. <laughs> you know, the, the, you're again, you're just, you, you okay. Know, it should be it, okay if it's been demonstrated worldwide. Then it should be trivial for you to go Google up a Google up an example and show it to me. Nova Scotia. There you go. That's that's polystrated trees, Nova Scotia. You could just Google polystrated trees, and you get several examples. Okay, and then you maybe type in uh, "running through multiple layers of coal," and you will get examples. And you can pull them up. I have so, not. So you can pull those up. And while he's pulling those up, I want to ask. So you're thinking that changing the composition of the atmosphere is going to drastically increase cell division, so that they can uh, grow roots faster, and it's going to grow entire trees in days minutes how fast do you think this can go because what's going to need to happen is the roots are going to need to grow to this location grow a new tree grow new roots new tree and it's going to go in a big line over a distance so it's going to be at some rates how fast do you think increasing i don't know carbon dioxide or oxygen in the air would make cell division in trees fast enough to pop out a new tree in a few hours one possibility, are you looking at uh, the fossilized roots of these trees or what? No, they're alive today. The, the forest they're is literally alive. a thing today. It just okay. continues to spread. So given well, then, I would say within 4,500 years, that's how they were produced. So uh, not 10,000. <laughs> you cut that basically in half. There you go. Okay. Okay. Let's, let's discuss something um, that sort of I've allowed you guys to skate on a little bit, which is cosmogenic exposure agitating, which is Actually, I, I want to add one more question if I can. Well, and I let will you say, guys, both of you, whenever you feel like you have gotten your points out, and the same with you, Sound Christopher, tell me, because then we're going to do outros and then Q&A. But feel free to mm -hmm. get these last points out. Yeah, Jay Verjara asks, can you ask, please ask PhD Tony how much how much energy is necessary in the supposed rain for a year to cover the Earth's surface? Uh, it's that that's an absolutely absurd um, uh, amount of energy. The the amount of latent heat that would be released um, in that process it, uh, it it's truly ridiculous. I haven't done the calculations, but it's. Um, it's an absolutely astonishing um, amount of energy, not as much as the amount of energy that they require to explain um, tectonic movements over the past, um, uh, over, the, over the same period. Um, but, you know, it, it's just, it, it, it is nothing short of physical absurd to, to suggest that these physical processes are even possible. Um, but, uh, but, I'm going to I'm going to go on to cosmogenic isotope dating. Cosmogenic isotope refers to cosmic rays hitting rocks um, and um, impacting isotopes there and producing exotic isotopes um, that are not found naturally. Um, from the accumulation of these isotopes, we can determine how long a particular rock has been exposed to cosmic rays which is to say it's not being covered. And we can use that, for instance, to demonstrate 
that the top of the Grand Canyon has an exposure age of 10 million years, whilst the bottom, whilst you know, two-thirds of the way down the wall has been exposed for about two million years. Now, this is a double-edged sword because these um, cosmogenic um, uh, isotopes accumulate in the surface layer. So if there are no cosmogenic isotopes, we can tell that there's been a lot of erosion. But if there are cosmogenic isotopes, we can tell that there hasn't been erosion. So these very rapid erosion events that you require in the, in the Mississippi, for instance, or um, in, at the mouth of the Ganges to create these tens of thousands of metres thick layers of sediment, it ought to be very easy to detect whether or not that's plausible because everything must have been eroded upriver from that. And there should be no old cosmogenic exposure ages, except that there are old cosmogenic exposure ages, which shows that there hasn't been very rapid erosion, which shows that the erosion processes that, um, that created these sediment layers was slow because if it was fast, you'd only have young cosmogenic exposure ages. And this is a dating technique that you guys don't know about, don't understand, and can't explain. And it catches you in a vice because... Wait um, a minute. No, that because that's not cool. Because you don't want us to lie about you, but then you come on here and make all these claims about us, which are not uh, true. Did, do you know about cosmogenic exposure age dating? Please feel no, free to No, but that me. doesn't mean that nobody does. That doesn't mean that the creationists haven't come up with an explanation. I think in your mind we haven't come up with an explanation because well, that's what you'd like to believe. Well, Speaking of explanations, Sal and Christopher, I'm going to let you guys have a chance to finish up the dialogue before we do outros, though I do warn you, if you ask a question, that always bounces it back. So comments are best, but I leave that up to you, Sal Christopher. So uh, I'll just uh, I'll just go first real quick and I'll let you finish out. So you're saying that we uh, at the beginning of your presentation that we weren't uh, basically qualified to talk on the subject. This is for fun. And that's true. You know that we're not qualified as geochronologists like yourself. You may be qualified, but me and Sal maybe not. We don't really need to be qualified, though. We just need to go to the experts and see what they say. And there are many creationist geochronologists. So. Uh, that's not a valid argument to appeal to those who have credentials. When there are those who have credentials that you disagree with, the entire peer-reviewed process is just a whole bunch of people who disagree with each other. So it's junk science until you can prove it basically uh, you know, by something you can observe, by something everybody can repeat and test. Otherwise, it's just forensic theoretics. You know, uh, we, we don't just have isolated examples of the earth not being millions of years old or being restricted to at least 100,000. Most of the ways that you can uh, calculate an age for the earth, you know, prove that the earth is young. Okay, it's not, by, it's not like we only have one or two examples. They all show that the earth is young. So ice core samples, you know, the shifting of the atmosphere back in those days, that's fine, but uh, that doesn't prove, you know, that uh, there wasn't a global flood which could have produced those results in the in the ice core to change the layer, the levels of the atmosphere. But Sal, you can go now. I pointed out a single ugly fact can destroy a beautiful theory. The chemical dates are still problematic. You're trying uh, PhD Tony and others trying to write it off. 
I'm sorry, that's not good science. You, it's very difficult for you guys to just say, this is a problem. I have shown that I said something is problematic for my theory. And I don't feel that that was reciprocated. And I'm sorry, I have to say that uh, I don't regard this like a set skepticism as, as speaking well. It sounds to me like you have, um, you're closing your mind to alternative viewpoints. And I've tried to give you data and if you, you want to disregard the problem chemical dates, that's up to you. But if I were a scientist, I would be concerned. The cosmogenic dating, I know nothing about it. I thank you for, for pointing it out. And that would be worth something looking into. But if you wonder why I, I think the, young earth, the earth is still young, those chemical dates are really problematic for any sort of dating. And it's challenging radiometric dating. There's going to be a resolution of this, I hope at some point, and we'll find out the mechanisms. I've already given mechanisms that can change nuclear structure outside of nuclear decay, even starting with photonuclear processes. There's just a lot we don't know and we're going in on assumptions and it's okay if you wanna go by the mainstream, but I've given you data points to consider. So um, I appreciate you telling me about that, but you can keep, confronting me with how to explain this or that, I'll keep coming back and say, explain the chemical dates. I'll keep coming back to the same facts. You can't, just because of the volume of questions you have for me, doesn't minimize the magnitude of the problem I'm trying to present. You have this going through all the fossil layers, lots of it, it's testable. And so we, you know, I, I think on both sides, we could put forth arguments that are problematic for both. Trying to assume that it's a done deal is probably not healthy. I've given you points. If you if you want to keep insisting, that's that's <laughs> fine. And but I, I do appreciate that PhD Tony was willing to receive Jake Hubert's papers and writings on the Milinkovitch cycle. He's very critical of it. He thinks he's uh, falsified it. And um, I, I'm appreciative that you'd be willing to give him a fair hearing. He is he's not obviously respected by the current mainstream, but he certainly has achieved uh, the academic attainment um, to at least, I think, um, be heard. And I thank you for that. So that's all I have to say. Thank you so very much, Sal. And with that, it's going to conclude our open dialogue. In a second, we are going to start our Q&A round. So keep on tagging me in chat at Amy Newman or send in those super chats to give you priority. But I am going to hand it over to the negative side to tell us your final thoughts on the subject and what you got going on. Oh, do you teach him? Um, sure. I think that was not very productive, but okay. Um, I, I'll Hager wants me to say just Joshua for some reason. I don't know why. I'll go with that. And I'll, and I'll head it over to Tony. Okay. So again, you know, I, I did point out that if you're not an expert, one of the ways you can tell junk science from real science is whether or not it has practical applications. And geochronology does have practical applications. It is used in industry. It is used in mineral exploration. It is used to get us the stuff that goes into our batteries, our cars, our planes. Our economy depends, as it stands, 
on the accuracy and reliability of geochronological techniques. So to come up and to suggest that a some problem in a completely different scientific field utterly invalidates um, radiometric dating is faulty logic. If there's some problem with um, uh, cellular dating or biological dating, that's their problem. That's not the problem. That's not a problem with geochronology because geochronology demonstrably works. It helps us locate mineral bearing deposits and it does it every single day. It is the basis on which the modern economy works. Okay, I'm not overstating it. Reality, depend, you know, our economic reality is dependent on the accuracy of geochronology. So uh, I find none of the counter arguments uh, to be accurate um, or to have any weight whatsoever. I don't think that any evidence was presented here that would cast dispersions on the geochronological um, techniques, nor the fact that they are all intercomparable. They can be intercompared and found to back one another up. Anyway, that, uh, that's the end of my rant. Thank you so very much, the negative side, and I'm going to hand it over to the affirmative. What are your final thoughts and what you got going on? I thought that's what we just did. So, yeah, me too. I thought that was their, their So I'll, I'll be honest, that was supposed to be the wrap-up on the dialogue. But if you want, if that was your final thought on the topic, then Sal and Christopher, what do you have going on in the interwebs? And if not, we'll just move on to the Q&A. No, I'll, I have something to say. Just to, I just pointed out, right when I pointed out, a professional geologist who's a young earth creationist was Tim Clary. He's obviously been in industry. He worked for Chevron Corporation. He's a professor in a secular school for 17 years. So obviously you can take some of the same data under a young earth interpretation and still use it to do oil digging. So and, you can't, and you can't peer review it. You can't get it past peer review. So what he thinks, an individual, you know, you keep on going about if the data actually supported your position, why there are no atheist young earth creationists, but why are there Christian geochronologists who don't who aren't young earth creationists? If your argument is correct, then all Christian geochronologists should be young earth creationists. And I can tell you that that isn't the case. Right. If your argument is true and there's only one interpretation of the evidence, then all Christians who are geochronologists or geologists should be um, young earth creationists, and they're not. That simply isn't true. Yours, sir. Was it this? Was this my time to talk, or was it yours? Are you going to interrupt me? I was pointing out Tim Clary was a professional geologist. You're saying that uh, it depended on. Um, this old earth interpretation, why was he successful when he didn't believe it or accept it? So, I mean, it'd be worth having a conversation with him why he was being able to be effective. So I think your and whole I'll premise say, depend, depended on it. Careful of asking questions because that uh, necessitates that I give him over to an answer. So I will. I'm going to focus the laser. That was a rhetorical question. So okay, maybe I'll, I'll try to follow your there, Amy. Okay, so I would just say then, rather than use rhetorical questions, I'll just make assertions. I think that falsified your premise that 
it's absolutely useful. It, you can actually approach it from a different perspective and, and also get results. That means it, it's, not, it, it's not really as dependent. The economy is not quite as dependent on this old earth view as you claim. That's proof positive of someone who succeeded. And I, you know, there are other geologists that are in, that, that are like Tim Clary. So, you know, uh, you know, that is a counterexample. Okay. Thank you so very much, so. And then Christopher, just want to ask the same question. Can we find you anywhere out there, anywhere on the interwebs? It's just Christopher Silvius. You can find me on uh, YouTube and then have a group on Facebook. Uh, it's called Young Earth Creation. I'm also on Instagram, Twitter, and uh, yeah. It's a pleasure to be here. All right. With that, we are going to move into our Q&A section. This is your chance to send in your questions to any or all of our debaters. Super Chats will get your questions sent to the front of the line. However, we will try to get as many in in about the 35 minutes by sending your chat at Amy Newman. Though I do want to thank our interlocutors, PhD Tony, T Jump, Christopher, and Sal. Woo-hoo! And to remind you that all of their channel links are in the description below. If you enjoy the show, please don't forget to like and subscribe. Plus, if you're looking for even more fun after the show, come find us for after shows and more at the MDD Discord. But with that, let the fun begin. A four ninety nine super chat from Nate the lawyer. Shout out to T Jump, the debate king. Oh, got a fan out there. Yeah, thanks, Nate. Nate is awesome. Nate has an awesome YouTube channel. You should definitely check it out. It's much bigger than mine. It's bigger than bigger than, bigger than modern day debates. He really took off. He's doing great. Ooh, well. He's, in fact, sending in another one. We are sending so much in to Nate for another five bucks. PhD Tony is too. Long time no see. Oh, my. Hi, Nate the Lawyer. thought you'd forgotten about me. A... Member for seven months sending in their extra juicy saying MDD, I'm gonna try and hang around, but will be tough. Eddie just sent in so much love, another fantastic podcast, the Brute Facts Podcast. Uh and we're moving along. Five dollar super chat from Bitter Truth to Believers. Do you think, I'm going to assume, the creator who created the universe doesn't know the autonomy, which is clearly telling us it's human-made? I'm sorry, I don't quite understand the question. Uh, Thank you for the super chat and the question. And let me try one more time. Two believers, do you think creator who create this universe doesn't know the anatomy, which is clearly telling us it's human-made. Yes, he's referring to some problem in the Bible with human anatomy. 
I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, I think that he's saying that there's a seems to be mistakes in the anatomy of the human body, and therefore there is no creator. That is a faulty logic because you're just uh, you're saying because I don't understand something, therefore you know it wasn't even made. You know, it could be that there were problems introduced to a perfect creation, like a global flood. You know, that kind of messed things up, shortened our lifespan a lot. So just because you see problems with something, you know, something went wrong with a perfect design. You know, it's like that doesn't matter. That doesn't disprove that somebody designed it. That's a big logical fallacy. I don't know the name of it, but certainly. I did want to ask Sal, um, Javier was wondering if the professional creationist geologists who you said worked for like a company or something, were they using like 6,000 year old measurements to find oil? Or the 6,000-year-old Earth model to find oil, something like that? I, I don't know. He, he, okay, the conversations... No, that's a very good question, first of all. I think that he's obviously aware of the mainstream viewpoint, and he can use it, but he says it doesn't mean that the, the viewpoint is necessarily correct. So, so there, there are ways that you can locate things how it actually got there, it could be different, but as long as it had the certain characteristics that he needed, that's really all that, that mattered for searching petroleum. So you don't have to assume that it's old. You just have to assume that um, when you have certain conditions, it's gonna help you find oil. It doesn't matter what happened in the past, what you're doing, what you're detecting are the materials in the present. But and that's guiding you. Okay. It, doesn't, it doesn't matter how it got there. Because what you're exploring oil, you're exploring it in the present. You're, you're throwing a model on there of how it may have evolved in the past. The fundamental thing is you have the criteria for determining where to find it based on what's physically there in the present. How it got there in the past may not be all that relevant. So okay, I think this is, if I may just complete. Sorry, answer, I thought you were finished sound. My apologies. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I'm a little slow talker. That's not your fault. Um, so to answer the, the Javier's question, I, I think he would, you know, he could have just as well gone one way or the other, even, you know, despite his personal belief. I don't think that he actually used the, uh, as far as I know, he never mentioned that he used one model or the other. It was mostly, as I said, using what is in the present and what works. Go ahead. So if I may. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, this is a fundamental dichotomy, right? So what your young earth creationist geologist friend is basically saying is all the evidence is consistent with, a, with an old earth, but I believe the earth was made 6,000 years ago. So I believe the earth was made 6,000 years ago, but I believe the observational evidence indicates that it's older. And that is a perfectly valid religious position, Okay. That is a perfectly valid religious position to adopt, okay? That, that is the one instance of young earth creationism that I will accept. But as soon as you come out and you say the physical evidence suggests that the earth is older, is, is 6,000 years old and no more, you're wrong. You are just incorrect and you are misleading people by publicly declaiming that. You can say the earth is 6,000 years old, it just looks older, 
everything just looks older than that, that's a that's a you know that's fine. Um, go for it, um, and I wish you every happiness in your religion. This isn't an atheist versus theist debate. I'm not saying that you have no right to believe that. What you don't have a right to do is misinterpret the observational evidence, which the radiometric dating forms a part of. Anyway. And thank you, PhD Tony. And uh, Sarah Christopher, the comment was for you guys. For So a quick ending, if you want. So it's like we don't have the right to misinterpret something like then you don't have the right to do science because you're going to misinterpret things when you do science. So that's crazy. No, what what I'm saying is that you don't have a right to educate people in something that is demonstrably false. If I Again, educate somebody, if I educate, if I ed, if I educate somebody and I turn out to be wrong, then it is my responsibility to say so and to make up for it. And that is indeed how science works. People who make mistakes have to admit their mistakes and they have to concede them. Well, they, can, they, they don't have to, but the rest of science will move on without them if they don't. Um, but you, know, you, you have made it clear you're not an expert in any of the technical fields under discussion, but you feel free to try and discredit well, observational evidence that you have no technical understanding on and understanding of or ability Likewise. to interpret well, instantly instantly right you would... i hope that is the ending because i will say questions necessitate going back and forth so we are going to move forward sending love um can i can i uh yes right? technically <laughs> you technically have your final but i warn you sal if you ask a question it means giving the ball back so okay thank you for that pointer and i i may make a mistake uh, I, I feel that uh, Tony was putting words in Tim Clary's mouth. And, you know, I, I, I respect that sometimes you have to interpolate. So do I. The way to settle this is to have an interview with Tim Clary. And we could talk about his views and how he deals with it. I will say that he feels the evidence uh, does refute an old earth. He, he, he deals with all sorts of things in geology and he has criticized some of the mainstream models. Um, so one way to settle that is I will try to get conversations with him to talk about what you've said. And, uh, you know, I think it'd be great if he could come forward and say, you know, how do you, you know, uh, did you really need the old earth geochronology? Uh, did you actually have to accept that it's what the theory says? And I'd be interested. And so that's fair. So I, I wouldn't be too quick to say he's totally ignoring the data and the conclusions. The man needs to speak for himself. And if I misrepresented mm -hmm. him, that's on me. And I'd like to resolve that. So if anything has come out of this debate, uh, you'd be having a conversation with Tim Clary. And I'll point out a geologist that taught at my secular school, my alma mater, George Mason. Uh, and it's, he's appearing on Modern Day Debate. He is a geologist. He's a young earth creationist, and that's Professor David McQueen. So thank you very much, Amy. Woohoo! Absolutely. And a $2 super chat from Shalice. If dinos come from monkeys, then why still humans? I think that's a, I think that's a flippant comment. 
All right, and we are moving forward, but thank you so much for the support, Shalice. And from Jamie Russell, what is up? A $2 super chat says Cordova Silvius 2024. Got a fan out there. Thank you, Jamie. Uh, uh, yeah, you, yeah I'll, I'll be the, the vice president of Salvador. That'd be awesome. I'm I'll, I'm up for it. We have $2 super chat from Brute Facts Podcast. This super chat is for T-Jump. Once again, another fan out there. Woo-hoo. Uh, $5 super chat from Bitter Truth. Create Plant, I think it's planet. Create planet on third day. Create sun on fourth day. Planet without sun. Don't you think this is error? Let me try and read it without me helping. Create plant on third day. Create sun on fourth day. Plant without sun. Don't you think this is error? I'm not sure if they meant to say planet or they really meant plant. No, I don't um, think that T Jump or PH Doni uh, are theistic evolutionists or atheists. So I, don't, I don't know if this relates to this, but you can go ahead. So sorry. No, I think this is one reason that um, people who believe the Bible think the interpretation should, should be literal, uh, because if if it's millions, if the days represent millions of years, and then the sun were created after the plants, the plants would be dead. So it had to be closer to a 24, if not literally 24 hour time frame. And so pointing that out is actually, that could actually be a young earther trying to give an interpretation that it has, to, if the sun came a day after the plants were made, that means this is a 24 hour day, not, not day age. So um, I'm gonna have to uh, fill in for, Chris, uh, for Christopher for a little bit. Um, he has to take care of his little one. So uh, that's fine. Thank, thank you for the, thank you for the super chat. Woo-hoo, thank you so very much for the super chat and the support. Bitter truth. Another five dollar super chat or a su- from Tasha J. Thomas. Oh, I think she froze. Oh, did I freeze? You, yeah, you froze. We were here at five dollar, and then you stopped. Dun, dun, dun. Can you... Okay, am I back? Yes. Yes. Cool, cool. Dun, dun, dun. A $5 super chat from Tasha J. Thomas. Thank you so very much. The Earth is both old and young, and we have the proof for the global flood. For more info, respond to the name. Oh, my. (laughs) okay so again speaking as somebody who has studied um paleo sea level change there is absolutely no scientific data at all in support of a global flood um that has any scintilla of respectability to it um it just didn't happen it can't happen it's a physical impossibility um uh, on multiple levels and um, I really, you know, 
the, 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 the number of holes with it from the amount of latent heat that would be necessary, where did the water come from, where did the water go, um, you know, um, how can you have ice sheets existing while there's water, the water will, you know, the ice floats on water, you're not going to have ice in contact with the, um, uh, with the ground. Um, you know, what were the koalas eating while they were on this, while, I, while they were on this arc for, um, uh, you know, a year and a bit? Um, you know, because it certainly wasn't eucalyptus leaves, because eucalyptus don't live in the Middle East, so they weren't available to be put on there. What did the, what did the koalas eat on their way out from the Middle East to Australia? How did they get across the Wallace line? All of these questions, it's, 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 it's it's childish to assume to assert that um that the that these bedtime stories are real there is not a scintilla of evidence and i cannot believe the willingness of professional scientists to sacrifice every ounce of their um, scientific integrity in pursuit of what are obviously fables so Sal said, yes, absolutely. Um, I would like to ask Tony a question. Does he believe in evolutionary theory? Yes, I do, but it's not my academic speciality. To me, you're believing in fables. And so your incredulity toward us, I feel the same toward you. It's To me, it's one of the dumbest theories in failing... And your qualifications in evolutionary biology are? I'm not an evolutionary biologist for starts. Okay, then your opinion means nothing, doesn't it? So we can go back to the discussion. It does count for something because an evolutionary biologist said, Jerry Coyne, in science's pecking order, evolutionary biology lurks somewhere near the bottom, far closer to the pseudoscience of phrenology than to physics. Um, again, I don't care what he said if he didn't say it in a peer-reviewed article. All right. So thank you. That uh, Well, anyway, thank you. I, I, uh, I do appreciate you responding to my question that you believe in fairy tales too. I believe in what you consider to be fairy tales. You believe in something for which there is not a scintilla of evidence. There's a difference. And moving forward, thank you so very much, uh, Tasa J. But a $2 super chat from Travis. All, does Teenage Hallucinant beat peer review? Let me say that again. Does Teenage Hallucination, Hallucinogen, beat peer review? That's more of like a personal attack on Sal, I think. So then I'll send it over to Sal. Seems like it's getting spicy. Uh, I, I didn't understand the chat, so thank you for the money. We're sending so much love, Travis. And if you would like, uh, tag me if it was not clear enough, and I will resend the chat. But thank you so very much for the support, Travis. Well, uh, I think it was in reference to Sal has told... I think people that he had an experience of Jesus when he was a teenager or something. And that's saying it was like a hallucination and that needs to be peer reviewed or something. 
I would like to say that I, sorry, Sal, I just want to say, I think that it's unfair um, to attack somebody's religious experience um, uh, as a hallucination. Um, I think that that's a, that's a bit raw, right? We, we're, you know, and um, this is why I think that setting this up as atheism versus theism, there are plenty of Christians who, you know, believe the evidence for an old earth. Being a Christian is not a hallucination. And I think that it's sort of, um, it's, it's poisoning the well to characterize it that way. Sorry, Sal, I shouldn't have cut you off. No, thank you. Much appreciated what you just said, sir. Thank you. Woohoo! Thank you so very much. Also, Sal, this will seem random. Is it frozen on your end? If not, uh, I no. see everyone fine. You see everyone oh, fine. If All you right. Can, you can hear me. It could be that because Christopher Sylvia's dropped out. And that may be. All right. Well, so we're sending love because we can hear you just fine. What I'm gonna do is tee up another $5 super chat from Bitter Truth. At the first God made heaven and the earth. Well, there was no earth in the beginning of the universe creation. This is, of course, scientific error. Was that directed at someone? Uh, I you. believe that's it's directed uh... at you. Okay, can yeah. I'm, and I'm sorry uh, if you could repeat. And first off, you said you. that at the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, but scientifically, there was no earth at the Big Bang. Earth hadn't formed yet. Therefore, it's a scientific error. Uh, the Big Bang, well, thank you for the, that. The Big Bang is getting in more and more trouble. Uh, e even at my undergraduate alma mater, there were three professors openly critical of the Big Bang, and this was even in like the 90s um, or early 2000s, uh, like Mina Scafatos, uh, Sister Roy. And uh, so there are theories that could be postulated that don't agree with the Big Bang. And even in the last three years, there's questions about the mechanism of the redshift. There was the Pioneer 6 radio waves that were examined, re-examined, I'm sorry, and as they pass through the solar corona, they got redshifted. If that's the case, then we can't absolutely rule out that um, the redshifts could have another mechanism than universal expansion. There's also data by Hawkins and others that uh, question that. So I think, you know, uh, we can't accept the Big Bang as true. It also requires something like, okay, I'm gonna restart my video. Um, it, it requires things like inflation. Nobel Prize winner Roger Penrose has come out very critical of inflation, and this is causing problems. So I wouldn't, you know, I believe in instantaneous creation. That seems to be more reasonable because I have this book, and I'm still frozen, Solar System Evolution. It was written by someone fighting against creationism. After I read it, I believe the, you know, the uh, solar system was created because of all the problems of contradiction, uh, they, they couldn't resolve the theory. And to me, it seemed like it was more reasonable that uh, the earth and the solar system were instantaneously created. 
Woohoo! Thank you so very much, Sal. And I think it's just me. I think I would have to restart Zoom, but I can't do that live, so I apologize for that, everyone. We're going to keep on moving with some fantastic audio and super chats. Shout out to Restream. Restream, you can actually do that. I can, I can restart my computer and rejoin Restream, and the other person is hosting just fine. Oh, really? Maybe I need to look into Restream. But sending love uh, from the freak shout out to james woohoo sent in love to our very own modern day debate james out there somewhere on the interwebs so much love and thank you so much to freak uh sending love i i really only have two favorite names that i like to say on the internet and that is titan uranus and stupid whore energy who sends in a $10 super chat. In Yellowstone Park, there is a stratigraphic section of 2,000 feet exposed, which shows 18 petrified forests in succession. This seems like it would have taken longer than a flood year. It may well have. What's the time frame? But oh well. First off, thank you for the question. And who was it from? It was our very own stupid whore energy. Well, Miss Energy, nice to hear from you. Uh, so, so you're saying that it looks like 18 petrified fossil uh, forests in succession. Uh, that would mean one's on top of the other. And you're saying that. Uh, that would be take longer than one year to form. That seems reasonable. But we should try to determine the chemical ages across those. If, if it shows that, you know, I don't know if the petrified forest would still have any of the original wood, but if it does, and you're able to see it across the strata, that will tell you that, um, you know, some of these, depending on the chemical dates used, it, it, it'll constrain how long that those forests were put in succession. So. Thank you so very much, Stupid Horror Energy. And a $5 super chat, again, from Bitter Truth. Can I get into this show and ask believers directly? Well... Not quite, but what you can do is find our About page on the Modern Day Debate YouTube and send an email with any type of qualifications or anything you got going on, and maybe we'll get you set up for some fun. But thank you so much for the support, uh, Bitter Truth. And all right, we're going to get in some questions but this is the last 10 minutes, so if you really want yours to be read, make sure you send in those super chats. Um, <laughs> sending love to Nikki, who tells me to eat some cookies. Sending so much love, Nikki. Mwah. Um, Delania at uh, tagging me saying, Christians have said that evidence that the Earth is over 6,000 years old was created by God to test your faith do they believe evidence against their belief 
That's a very good question. So the example I use is that uh, if you have a pencil that's straight and you put it in water, it looks bent. Does that mean God is testing your faith? I'd say no, because you have the means to find out through further investigation that the pencil is indeed straight. Even more powerfully was the problem of geocentrism, where it was presumed that the entire universe revolved around the earth. And that was superficially reasonable because we saw the sun rise and set every day. And we could also claim there that God was deceiving us and testing our faith. But it turned out if you're willing to look at the anomalies like retrograde motion, you would, you'd realize that, um, and as Copernicus was able to deduce, that the solar system is heliocentric and the universe is not geocentric. So, so the further, so, so this thing of like supposed evidence, they are data points. It doesn't mean that it's proof. Just like you have data points that the pencil looks bent. It doesn't mean that it's actually bent. You have the opportunity then to see through further investigation, what is the truth? And so I wouldn't say it's testing your faith thereby. It's, it's testing your willingness to find out if there are alternative viewpoints. And uh, it does test where your heart is. Because if you love God and it's tied to your view that the earth might be young and there are Christians that believe that's old, but for some, you know, believe, you know, I was an old earth creationist, but for some, it's important to them and it's, it's going to motivate them to investigate further. And maybe the evidence like that bent pencil or with geocentrism on further investigation, you'll realize that it's a different answer and it was only superficially looking one way when in fact it was the other. And as you get that new data, data, it will be convincingly be that other viewpoint. And that is a testable, that's more of a qualitative prediction for young earth creationism. I think the data will eventually be vindicating that viewpoint. I've given some of the anomalies uh, that I stated, such as the chemical dates and I, you know, a testable prediction is also the decay of the magnetic field. I may not be around to see that prediction come true. This would be um, not just the magnetic field of the Earth, but also the other planets in the solar system. Woo-hoo. Thank you so very much. Another super chat from the fabulous, stupid whore energy. $10. But you see the problem, right, Sal? Each forest shows mature trees before being wiped out with lava. And the lava had to become soil before the next forest could grow. Oh my, stupid whore back for more. Thank you for the super chat. Uh, she's, she feels like one of my fans. I think that was an excellent point, Miss Energy. And I don't have a comeback to that except testing the dates, I would presume, uh, for one, if we do find carbon dates, uh, and we know that the carbon dates cannot be like larger than like say 40, 50,000 years, if we find those there, then there has to be another explanation for the succession and also for the chemical dates, we'll just have to look at it. So, you know, um, those are data points that would constrain uh, maybe their formation. So maybe they weren't um, actual, uh, growth cycles of, of separate forests. We don't know, but I think you made an excellent point. I'd like to respond to something that Sal just said, 
Absolutely, but then he'll have the last word after, but the floor is all yours. Is is Sal aware that carbon-14 can be detected in old samples for two reasons? Um, Well, three, three main reasons. One, failure to properly clean your sample. Two, machine error where C13H and C12H2 makes it past the final gate in a mass spectrometer and gets detected as having a mass of 14 atomic mass units. And three, if the sample is near a radioactive source that is emitting neutrons, that can lead to carbon-14 production in the sample. So is he aware that just because you find carbon-14 in a sample doesn't mean that it's young? I am aware of that. I will be having a nuclear engineer on my channel who shares Tony's views to uh, examine that even in more detail. And um, I am aware of those problems. And you know, I think that's a legitimate objection. I'm not saying that we've actually found it in those trees. I'm just suggesting that those would be worth investigating. It would be interesting to see uh, whatever you know, chemical mechanism we can look at we can if it's even accessible to find out through the stratified trees if it starts to return young you know younger dates that is problematic we have to re-examine then how those uh, come up with a different set of mechanisms of how we could get that successive uh, petrified forest i mean that that was i have to credit miss energy that was a very good objection to my model so thank you Woohoo! Thank you so very much, Stupid Horror Energy. And another question or some love coming in from Mr. E-Man. $5. Why does science have a consensus and religion does not have a consensus? Well, I'd like to, I'll, I'll address that. And the, this comes back to the point that I was making earlier. If the state of the evidence was as Sal and Christopher maintain, then all Christian scientists, all Christians who are professional scientists, would come to the same conclusion as Sal and Christopher. They don't, because that is actually not the state of the evidence. No, that's actually not why. It's because they, they're biased and they're controlled, you know. There's a couple of reasons, but it's not, definitely not, not because of the evidence. I will. F- okay. So I mentioned this earlier, but when you come up and you start lying about other people, you are breaking your own religious injunctions. Kindly do not do it. You were lying about me by saying what you just said, so... I did not. I didn't even mention you in what I was saying. So how did I lie about you? Well, my company, me and uh, Sal here, about how we, uh, what you just said. uh, What lie did I say? Well, oh my God. Help me out here, Sal, because I can't remember what he just said. My brain is not functioning right now. Well, in a uh, second, I'm going to help both of you guys out and go on yeah. to the next question. Unless, Sal, unless you want to say something. Yes, I did want to say something uh, relevant to the uh, the question that was posed. There are many different religions because of the uncertainty. People tend to fill in the ideas with faith. Whereas for operational science, 
like say electromagnetic theory, geometric optics, there's consensus because you have repeatable experiments. So I'm perfectly fine with, uh, you know, calling that first rate science. Whenever you can repeat it and predict it and control it, such as the case with applied physics, also known as engineering or any applied chemistry. With respect to the origins and why Christians uh, uh, disagree, and I, have, I disagree with uh, a body of Christians, and I consider them brothers in Christ about the age of the earth, those are not subject to the same, same accessibility as experiments we can run in the present day, and we can actually agree on what the outcome was. We're speculating on the past, and therefore, I think what we would call origins or historical science, if you would even call it science, is of lower quality. You're going to have a lot more disagreement. Thank you, Sal. And we only got five more minutes. So if you want to make sure your burning desire question is asked, make sure to send in those super chats. But we're sending love another $5 super chat. So much love from Bitter Truth Science based on evidence but religion based on belief. Also, religions representing incorrect science, how someone can, can be convinced by religion, myth. Both are religious. Neither one is technically scientific. I, I science is not scientific, that's genius. I would modify that. You know, we're conflating origins theories that use some science versus operational theories, which you can test in the present day. Uh, they are not equivalent in level of verifiability and confidence. So, um, you know, I, I don't know what we're gonna do with that. I, I do wanna just mention David McQueen's coming on modern day debate. He, is a, he was a professor of geology at my school. He's a young earth creationist. He taught at a secular university. I'd be interested to hear how he had succeeded in that, being a young earth creationist. So, I mean, they're, they're young earth creationists who can, who can seem to be able to do geology quite well without having to accept origin theories that can't be directly verified anyway. So, um, anyway, so thank I'm, you for the, the point. Um, yeah, but what verification do you have that the biblical account of creation is correct? Where's your evidence? What about uh, like eyewitness testimonies that come from most ancient cultures all around the world that all talk about how a flood happened? What about those people? So that would be explained by um, large-scale um, sea level rise following the last glacial cycle. Uh, sea level well, rose by to look at it. Sea level rose by 120 meters um, uh, uh, between you know 18,000 and 9,000 years ago. Um, this displaced pretty much every coastal dwelling population on the face of the planet, um, and they remembered it. It's not that hard to explain. Well, neither is a lot of your arguments that you're saying that we don't have an explanation for. It's not like they're hard to explain, you know. It's just like you think because yes. you have all these arguments, yes. you're somehow right yes. automatically. Yes, yes. That, well, you haven't come up with a single valid argument against cosmogenic exposure age dating. The, um, the 
um, the fact that um, erosion rates don't match up with your, the ice core data, um, the, the, the fact that the dust content through the ice cores is constant um, in magnitude, the, um, the magnitude and frequency of um, isotopic changes within the ocean. You haven't explained any of that. What you've really, thrown out. I did. We actually yes, went through like a whole thing. No, you didn't. No, you it. didn't. You, you strung some words together and you pretended to yourself that it made sense. Okay. Uh, That's what, that is literally what you did. Now you you're lying about present, See how you're doing that? No. Hypocrite. I am accurately describing Hypocrite. what you did. You didn't. You did not. Um, you did not present a hypothesis that was quantifiable, that was testable, that had yeah, any basis in physical reliability. In I physical did. reality. So I don't know what you're talking about. No, you didn't. You shouldn't even have a PhD. And just send in love, everyone out there. We're keeping it classy because we only got three more questions. And then we are getting out to the after show on the Discord. Sending so much love from Delaney. Old Hebrew, Old Testament. Yom means day, but also can mean unknown period of light point of time, sunrise to sunset, a year, a long but finite span of time, age, epoch, season. I, I think, um, thank you for the comment. I think that's trying to point out that there's not only one interpretation of the Bible that's out there. Um, and, and one can therefore use that ambiguity to suggest that what they would call you know something other than the young earth creationism so thank you oh and a follow-up from delaney does sal believe the king james bible is an accurate translation no That that Sylvia says we can disagree with that. Yeah, I think it's it, it's better than others like the the Living Bible. I think that's like one of the worst of them. So I'd take the King James over the Living Bible. I take uh, translations that aren't KJV and burn them once a year. So maybe you should think about that. But just for the record, I listen to the King James almost every day. But I think there are some parts that's you know. It, it is inaccurate, but I, I, I trust it more than others, and I listen to it all the time. Most of my Bible study has been in King James. From the Mystery Cook, so Noah's flood covered the 7,000-meter-high Mount Everest. There isn't enough water in the water to go 100 meters up Mount Everest. Oh, Everest didn't exist then. Makes sense. Checks out. Not. The suggestion, uh, you know, I think that's reasonable. What would have to happen is the mountains would have had to risen very quickly and very high. So the waters could cover the earth and then later the mountains rose through a violent tectonic ability, um, violent, violent tectonic activity. And you know, I, I do see like Sullivan Mountain that looks, you have all these folded rocks 
and you know, to me, that looks like that happened quickly, and at a time that it was still unlithified. So, uh, it's possible. So that would be the resolution that at least the creationist community would suggest: is the mountains rose very quickly afterward, after the the flood had covered the earth. Well, he's conceding that, and he's like, "Oh, we'll check. It doesn't make any sense." Blah blah blah. But he doesn't realize that there are actually clams on Mount Everest. They're in the close positions, indicating that they were buried rapidly. And also whales on the top of mountains, indicating they were buried rapidly. A global flood. That's right. I know it gives you a headache because it's right and you're wrong. That's why. Okay. So now you're just spewing nonsense and perhaps you should be silent while the adults talk. To address Sal's point, there is no evidence that this is rapid and your interpretation of what it looks like is literally meaningless because you have zero qualifications in assessing this the you know the existence of these fossils um, at um, uh, elevations is easily explained by the amount of observed uplift um, that is ongoing as um, far as tectonic processes are, are concerned and we can again correlate the modern rate of spreading with the ancient ages and the radiometrically determined ages of collisions and tectonic events like the collision of India with the Eurasian plates that um, uh, that created the um, that created um, the Himalayas, and you know you'll claim that there were no mountains. The Great Dividing Range along the east coast of Australia used to be huge, but it is so old that most of it has eroded away. You'll claim that there weren't any mountains is wrong. You know, it, it's just observably nonsense, right? Um, I, I, literally, you guys have no idea of the amount of evidence globally that disputes simple statements that you just made, right? This claim that all mountains have been formed recently, obviously not. The Great Dividing Range has had the crap eroded out of it. Um, so, you know, you don't get round the um, basic problems with your scenario um, by just saying, oh, well, the mountains came up recently. No, we can prove that that didn't happen. We can prove that it's wrong. And we can prove that there were mountains before those mountains. Just All right, why is there not for Mount Everest? Can you not, <laughs> and this is a rhetorical question, can you not at least once concede that you don't know what you're talking about because every time something is brought up you've got some seat of the pants half-baked explanation that has absolutely no factual basis to it and so there was two questions in there we're gonna let both of you answer but then we are gonna fly this plane into the end game i mean uh since that question was directed at us do we get the final word on that one Oh, so, not only that, but I do believe that Tony was asking you guys a question. So, so I, I just told you one evidence of it. And I talked about the, it looks like there's a bend like in the Sullivan Mountains. It looks like to you, that's not evidence of anything. It is bent. It's plenty of evidence. <laughs> plenty of evidence. So, I mean, just, you If know. I say you look like a potato to me, does that, is that evidence that you're a potato? I gave evidence that the mountains, you know, He gave evidence. You want to ignore it? That's fine. We gave evidence and you're just being run qualified. That's all right. So. This has not happened before to me. 
where I, I, I've seen... Oh, go on, Amy. Thank oh, you. Oh, no, no, no. Um, what I'll say, actually, Sal, you're going to be the... Uh, so finish your thought, and then... No, it's... You know, we're getting beat down and saying we're not qualified for this or that. I will tell you, I was not qualified in biology eight years ago, but I smelled that there was a skunk in evolutionary biology and abiogenesis. It's just been rewarding to see that I was right because even the evolutionary biologists and the abiogenesis researchers, uh, they're having a meltdown. Scientists uh, are, are saying some of that stuff is just absolutely junk. And I saw it coming. I, I'm glad I didn't waste my time on garbage science. And so one does not have to be wasting years in a dead end idea uh, to, to necessarily refute it. So, you know, uh, this this whole thing of being unqualified it's like okay you can believe that thank you so very much sal this is the last regular question and a super chat snuck in but sending love out there to defreak i saw you sending love to me and us sending love that love right back but desil drace uh tony what do you make of kadoa christian totten and cattling arguing for very low CO2 during the Hayden because of the impact eject, it says ejecta, eject or eject, eject a weathering from meteors, re, faint young sun? I haven't read that paper, um, but uh, even if you accept the CO2 levels being low, you do have, um, uh, you do have other uh, atmospheric um, effects that can lead to um, that can lead to warming. For instance, you can have uh, you know low clouds forming as a result of that. That will also have a greenhouse effect. Um, sorry, I think it's high clouds. If you've got high clouds, you can um, uh, get a greenhouse effect, trapping heat near Earth's surface. So um, while there is you know still, still some scientific uh, discussion to be had about exactly what was going on um, in the early atmosphere. Um, the claim that it is a demonstration that the Earth cannot be um, more than 6,000 years old is demonstrably false. Um, uh, so, but it, uh, I haven't read that paper, but I will look into it. Thank you for recommending it. Woohoo! Also, bitter, I see you getting in one more super chat, but this is my warning. This will be, these two are the last super chats. So even if you send in a super chat, I don't think we are going to get in because we want to respect our debater's time, but we appreciate all of the love. A $2 from Mark Reed. Christopher, so you would burn books? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know what's wrong with burning books. <clears throat> The reason that I burn false translations because I believe that they're a corruption of God's word, which qualifies you from going to heaven. So, which, which which biblical manuscripts would you burn? I'd like to know that one. Which any of them that isn't a KJV. <laughs> so, so you would burn the original documents? No, I because that's what the KJV is 
translated from. I'm not going to take the ancient manuscripts, which we construct the Bible with, and burn well, them. But, I'm but the take KJ, that. If, you're, if you're burning all versions of the Bible apart from the KJV, that means you're burning all non-English versions of the Bible. The KJV is no, in English. that's not what I said. You want to you wanna do that? That's fine. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. You said you were going no. to burn all non-KJV versions of the Bible. I'm, talk okay, I'm clearly all... talking about translations that have came out recently you know, that haven't been in Christian history since the 1600s and beyond, okay? Going back to the early Christians, these modern translations like the NIV, the ESV, you know, the, the amplified version, which I found too loud, but there are all these, you know, crazy translations that are coming out now, and they are not accurate. I think they're corruption. So, no, I would not burn the early manuscripts. That's, uh, if I wasn't clear on that, now I am. She's talking about modern translations. I think they're false. Okay, but just to be clear, uh, just a just a simple yes or no question. You guys believe in magic, right? Because the Bible says magic is real. Magic? Yes. Moses and his brother Aaron have a magic contest against the Pharaoh's um, sorcerers, and they win, not because the Pharaoh's sorcerers can't do magic, but because they do better magic, and their magical serpent eats all the other magical serpents. That's in the book of Exodus. So Moses' brother does better magic than the, than, the, than, the, than the Pharaoh sorcerers. So you guys believe in magic. Also the Witch of Endor. Nope. She uses magic to raise the nope. souls of the dead so that she can. Well, it's in the Bible. So why don't you believe in it? We Because what Moses and Aaron was doing was not magic. It was the power of God. Well, they weren't using yeah, but the sorcerers. But the sorcerers weren't using the power of God. They were doing magic. Right. And on that note, this is the last question. Bitter truth for $10. Mm. And thank you to all of the love and supports from our Super Chats tonight. And just regular questions. Quick question. If science is garbage, why do you need to see a physician? I feel like this attack on creationists because we don't believe in science. We believe in magic. That's what they're trying to uh, trying to say here. That's just, uh, just dumb, though. We uh, Christians have been doing science. Since athe you know, since before atheists were doing science, we've been doing it just fine for a long time. So stop it. <laughs> atheists so, existed so before Christians, bro. This is a serious question. Do you deny that the book of Exodus describes a magic duel between Moses and Aaron and the sorcerers uh, and the Pharaoh sorcerers? Do yes, deny I deny that. that yep. I deny that. It's not magic. Um, no, no, no. Do you deny that that incident is described in the Bible? That story you're talking about is a yes. battle of magicians, sorcerers, yes. versus men of God, which are not doing nothing yeah, of their but, own so, power but they were, So leaving aside what Moses and Aaron were doing, what were the sorcerers doing? Magic. Okay, so you yeah. do believe in magic. Okay, yeah, in that sense, yeah, I do believe magic is possible, certainly. Okay, well, you know, and then so you can't really say that we're defaming you by saying you believe in magic. All right, but I don't, I don't want to do magic. That's all I'm saying. I'm not pro-magic. I'm not <laughs> for magic. Well, I'm glad we sorted that out before it developed into a controversy. What about you, Sal? Do you believe 
that magic is described in the Old Testament? Yes, I, I'm sorry, I was delayed in um, responding. I actually had to think about it. And on that note, I want to send love to all of us out there. I saw Bread of Life actually sneaking in a super chat to send love to Sal. So Sal, you got a fan out there. But we all want to thank you for joining us here on Modern Day Debates. We're a neutral platform welcoming everybody from all walks of life. Please don't forget to like and subscribe. And if you want, looking for more juicy debates, including is the Earth 6,000 years old and you liked what either of our interlocutors had to say, like PhD Tony, T-Jump, Christopher... And Sal, well, you can find all of their links in the description below. Plus, if you're looking for more fun after the show, why not head over to the MDD Discord. But with that, I am Amy Newman with Modern Day Debate. We hope and you continue to have more great conversations, discussions, and debates. Mwah! Good night, good day. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.